welcome to the latest episode of France Ford's podcast series, Shoveling Smoke. I'm Alana Guy, an attorney at France Ford, and I'm joined today by Amy Hall. Amy is the epitome of the modern day human resources professional, as we'll chat about more shortly. Amy joins us today as the Chief People and Human Resources Officer for Equity Trust. She started her career in marketing before going back to school at night for her MBA. Soon after that, she started her career in HR, working her way up through a few major companies like Target, Staples, and Amtrust. Her career has taken her to Baltimore, Boston, London, Ireland, and Amsterdam. In 2015, Amy finally came back to Cleveland and has been here since. I was introduced to Amy by one of my favorite in-house attorneys and a mentor of mine, Kelly Barnett. In addition to her daytime job as litigation, labor and employment and procurement counsel for Amtrust, Kelly started the Cleveland chapter of FDCC Ladder Down, which is a leadership, mentorship and business development program for women attorneys. I was fortunate enough to be a member of the 2021 class and currently serve on the executive committee of which Kelly is the chair. Amy, I knew you were gonna be a good one when Kelly suggested we meet. And before I dive in, I just wanted to mention that I saw Equity Trust was actually just named as a North Coast 99 winner for the ninth straight year. Yes, we're really excited about that. Yeah, you should be. That's a huge accomplishment for your team and something you guys should be proud of. And for those who don't know, North Coast 99 recognizes best workplaces for top talent in Northeast Ohio. So congrats again. And also welcome to our podcast. We're so excited you're joining us here today and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's start off by having you give us a brief overview of what the traditional HR function is in a company, because I know it's rapidly changing, but, and we'll discuss that more in a few minutes, but what was the traditional role for HR? So primarily it consists of your your benefits, your compensation, you know, employee relations, recruiting, very, very basic you know, everybody just sort of puts HR in the corner type of thing um, and knows that they can go and ask a question, you know, have I contributed enough my 401k? You know, do, do I have the right benefits? Um, this person's, you know, flicking a paperclip at me. Can you get them to stop type of thing? <laughs> so, you know, file maintenance, those types of issues are the, considered like the very traditional HR type of roles. And I, and I had those types of roles when I first started out too, you know, very basic, very entry level type of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, how does it work for companies of different sizes? Because I imagine that also plays a role, whether company has five or 10 employees or hundreds, thousands of employees, you know, that would make a difference, I would think, too. It does. So when you're much, much larger, some of the the companies that I worked for um, were, you have various different roles and they're very siloed. So you have a dedicated ER team that does investigations. Maybe they do a little bit of training. They help people with corrective action. You have a separate benefits team. You have a separate comp team, separate learning development. Um, Smaller teams, like the one that I have now at Equity, our ER and benefits are together. They also dabble in comp. Um, So we, we are jack of all trades. We tend to do a little bit more just because we're smaller. So the company as a whole Um, you know, it's right around 400 people. And so therefore we tend to dabble in most of the different areas. So we're responsible for more. So we were talking about when I introduced you, how you've worked at several different companies and a lot of those were definitely larger roles. Now, 
we were just talking about the difference between a large and a small company, but within those larger companies, did you see a large difference between your role from company to company and then also to where you are now with Equity Trust? It's funny because you really, you know, higher up you go, you don't see that much of a difference. You have more people that you can delegate to, that's for sure. Um, But you still have, you really do have the same sort of trials and tribulations. You know, are your leaders that you support, do they buy into HR? Are they understanding what you can do for them, how you can make their life easier in your role? If they don't, then you are in a very traditional old school type of HR role. And it's not that exciting, unfortunately. If they do buy in, whether you're large or small, then the work is really, really meaningful. You absolutely can help make their lives easier. And you tend to be a little bit more forward thinking um, because you get to know the business, you understand what their needs are, and you can really help the leaders achieve their strategic goals through HR, which is great. Yeah, I love that. That's pretty similar, I think, to how law firms can operate too. Sometimes it doesn't matter large or small. It's kind of about the people around you and how they see your role and, you know, how they see your career progressing. So I like that same analogy. Well, good. So what about then when you were overseas? Were there any obvious differences between HR when you were in Amsterdam and London than when you're here in the U.S.? So the biggest difference is, and I always laugh, is you have way more vacation time over there than you do here in the United States. <laughs> okay, not what we were looking for. <laughs> I although I like that you had that experience at that time. Um, <laughs> no, it really, overseas though, people really understand their rights. So it becomes very challenging because people absolutely know what they're entitled to, like, especially around the area of leave management, you know, they have years over there, like in England, like a maternity leave could be a year where wow. in the Netherlands, it, it could be up to two years. Oh my so gosh. they really know this. And so having to deal with the business could be very particular and, and very challenging. So there was some different, um, very wide differences compared to the United States, um, in regards to leaves of absence, but people were very sophisticated. They knew what their rights were, um, so they were savvy compared to the United States in terms of that. Um, it's often like if you think about dealing with California all the time. You know, people are very well educated. Um, but many things were really the same, which made it a little bit easier, It um, especially in England. You know, a lot of your, um, you know, you couldn't, Obviously, harassment was still, you know, very much the same um, disabilities, like AD, even though it wasn't the ADA, it's still it was still very applicable. The biggest difference over there is that you're dealing sometimes with buildings that are 900 years old and you're not getting right. a wheelchair through those doors. So what do you have right. to do? You know, sometimes these buildings didn't have an elevator, for example. And so instead of, you know, you can't get somebody to the top floor. So you have to you, you don't just pick vol- like People don't volunteer to sit downstairs with somebody. You pick them. They don't have a choice. They're going to work downstairs. So things like that were a little bit different. But people are still people. So you still have, you know, very much performance issues and um, problems that you have to get in and help solve. That's interesting. I wonder now if people in the U.S., you know, employees will start to understand their rights a little bit more as we're 
progressing and things. I visited a friend in London a couple years ago, and she kind of said in passing, and I never thought about it again until you just said this, but she said it was illegal to work after 5 p.m. on a Friday or something about receiving an email. And I was, <laughs> I remember at the time thinking, I'm sure it's not illegal, but now I'm thinking maybe there are some pretty strict rules in place. And I don't remember it being <laughs> illegal. I don't know if it fit in well with their pub culture, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't yeah. illegal. <laughs> exactly. Then they're at the pubs at that point. So love it. Um, Good. Okay. So from your perspective, Amy, then we were talking about how they, people might be changing their, their viewpoints, maybe become more educated if they're employees here. But how are you seeing the HR function specifically changing and developing within the companies? Because obviously technology is something that is constantly changing and evolving. And I imagine changes your function and your role a little bit. But beyond that, maybe how is technology impacting your role? But even beyond tech, how does your role change? So with tech, it can make things really fantastic from an HR perspective because we now have so much data um, that we can really help businesses drive results in their area. Why do you have so much turnover? Is it happening in the first 90 days? Is it happening, you know, in the middle of the year? Is it people who have been here um, long-time employees, short-term employees? Why is it happening? Where is it happening? Those types of issues. Can you pinpoint it to a certain manager? Is that a reason why people are, you know, going, is it pay? People like to believe it's not pay, but in this day and age, is it pay? So you have so much data that you can really use. You just have to harness it correctly. Um, So that's one of the benefits. Um, And bigger companies have a little bit more money to spend usually and can harness that into systems that will help get that data and provide it into dashboards and things that are pretty slick for managers to use and self-service and all those sort of bells and whistles, shall we say, that make it easier for them to use. But technology also comes with a little bit of a price that isn't, you know, true dollar signs. So in a smaller company, you know, the the latest thing that a lot of people are trying to push through is what's like a chat bot where you don't get a person and you just ask a question in a chat. And, you know, I come from a family owned company and we want to keep that feel. And so a chatbot is never going to work for my organization, and I don't want it to work for my organization. I want that family feel. I want people to be able to come to the HR department. Am I going to be saving on an FTE by doing that? No, I'm not. Um, But I want to be able to have people know who their HR partners are and know that they can come and ask us a question or they can shoot me a message through Teams or, you know, call me, and they're going to get somebody live who will answer their question. Um, Bigger companies need that though. They do need that service, but smaller companies, something like a chatbot, the technology is a disservice to us. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, we'll talk about this, I'm sure again, because it always comes up, but understanding how, you know, your company operates and what the goals are and the culture. And it sounds like for you and for Equity Trust, you guys know what that culture is and you want to hang on to that. And so through HR, that seems like a good way of of doing so. Other than the chat bots, are there other developments technology-wise that you're not a big fan of? Or, I mean, even outside of tech, I mean, just other updates that have been going that you've been noticing for HR professionals are any of them maybe not quite your favorite? You know, some of the things that happen in HR that 
you know, there's so many training courses out there, right? There's so many webinars and, you know, the pandemic provided that to us, correct? Like, you know, everybody put a webinar out there. Everybody put some sort of training course out there. And so everybody can pretend to be an expert in different areas. But what I think it does is take away from the partnership that I had at least with um, several of my my law firm friends, so to speak. So now at some companies, not all, I was fortunate to have uh, a legal partner sitting right next to me. Um, at Amtrust, I was. Now at Equity, we're small, and I've got a great legal team there that I can call on. But they also, our general counsel, is is busy doing, you know, her day job. And so there's times where we have sticky issues that I need some true help with from a true lawyer that is an employment lawyer. So I need need more help in a very specialized area. So... you know, I think people have relied on these webinars and things too much, and we need to come back around to that, that it's okay to take a partner. It's okay to pick up the phone and say, hey, I got a pretty sticky situation that I need, uh, you know, a little advice and guidance. Here's what I've done. Here's where my head's at. Here's what I've been thinking about. You know, what, like, am I running afoul of anything? Am I going to end up, you know, getting our company sued? Like, what's going to happen here if I do this? You know, and sometimes it's great just to hear, nope, I think you're on the right track. Sounds like you've covered it. Go ahead. Or it's like, "Eh, have you thought about this? You know, and that's what's been so great um, for me with some of the partners, you know, I know here uh, with Mike Chesney and Megan um, Bennett. It's just they've been wonderful um, and really make the difference because they, they aren't just here to say, you know, here's how you do this. And that's, you know, that's the answer. It's. Let me let me help educate you or, you know, yeah, you got this. You understand what you're doing, you know, and they they explain it and you feel much better about the decisions that you make. So, you know, you can call it technology as part of the pandemic, but I think it's taken away and it's taken some people away from the fact that you do need to just pick up the phone sometimes and take a partner. And some of those issues that, you know, the pandemic didn't change that. You know, it definitely didn't change the fact that people still have accommodations whether they're at home or in the office, they still have FMLA, they still have issues, you know, especially working from home has is, is been quite challenging and we still need to work through those types of things. Yeah, I mean, the, you just said a lot that I think everybody can relate to and that resonates with everyone because, I mean, obviously I wasn't going to let you out of here without asking you about the pandemic. You know, it's got to be a part of everything now, unfortunately. But I, I mean, you touched on something else that I wanted to ask you about, which is how you partner with lawyers, whether they're internal, external. I mean, you mentioned Mike and Megan, and I, I mean, those are the best of the best. I mean, biased or not coming from, you know, they're my colleagues here at Franz Ward, but they, they are. They I've seen them interact with clients and take that approach of partnering. And But what makes outside counsel a good partner for you? I mean, you mentioned how they would educate you and just be there to bounce an idea off of you. But in general, whether it's other employment lawyers out there listening for how they can partner with their HR clients or whether it's other HR professionals listening for how they can leverage those relationships with their attorneys. What are the, some of those good qualities that really, for you, make a big difference? So you you absolutely have to connect with the person, you know, and in, in my line of work, I, you know, I've had nobody 
and we've had to try and wing it. And that scares me, you know, especially in this day and age. Um, and I've gone to, you know, where like the head of our legal department likes to sort of spread the wealth. And I got to meet several attorneys at several different firms. And it ended up being like, where was I comfortable and who was I comfortable with? Because in my experience too, you know, not naming names to protect some people, but you could get like a very canned response that takes the easy way out. And that's not always the way it should be. And and that's frustrating as an HR person because I've got the business you know, in one ear screaming like, hey, I need to replace this person and this is impacting my business and this is becoming dire straits and I have to worry about headcount and this is costing us money. And you're like, hey, I get it, I get it, you know? And then I've got a lawyer saying, well, too bad, you know, shrugs their shoulders. So sometimes is that the answer? Sure, it is, but it can be better refined. And what I always liked about um, the lawyers here was, okay, let's talk some options. Like, okay, you could do A, that's maybe not the best choice, you know, or here's B and C, you know, stay away from D. You're definitely going to be in trouble for doing that stuff. Like that'd be like a tad illegal, you know? Um, But you were given options. And then like my team, we really both, you know, and especially here at Equity Trust, um, you know, they're, they're younger and they're so bright and they're absolutely just craving knowledge. And they've given us some training and they they never made anybody feel like they were, you know, that they, they didn't know what they were doing or shame on them for not knowing this information. They assumed that they had the basics and they took them on a better journey and really educated them and brought them along for the ride and paused for questions and made them feel like just empowered them with the information. And it was great. And they walked away feeling just fantastic. Like they had just gotten A's in this course and, you know, put their capes on and were ready to go and tackle any ADA and FMLA issues. So, you know, that was the difference. And and that's what really, you know, it's because we're comfortable with them. We know that we're going to get not only a great answer, but we're going to get options and we're not going to be made to feel like, well, you guys aren't lawyers and you don't understand, you know, but we're, we're still professionals in our own field and, you know, we need help too. And so it like, that's the biggest thing. Be comfortable and don't be afraid to ask questions, even if you're on the right path, because your whole job is an HR. And this is the other thing I should have said, you know, when getting away from a traditional HR path, your whole job is to prevent your company from getting sued. Like that's what you're there for really mm-hmm. is to protect your company. And the best way to do it is to take a partner when you feel like you have a situation that could go south on you. That's great. And so those were the lawyers that when you were talking about the trainings, it was a law firm yes. coming in and providing. Yes. That's fantastic. And I mean, I, you hit the nail on the head and that's partnering. And when you were talking about the canned responses, it, it's something I think a lot about in my own practice when I'm talking to a client because there's this, you know, the way the legal world is set up right now and with billable hours and there, you, you teeter this line of, clients not really always wanting to call because they don't want, you know, as people say, the meter to start running. Right. And so sometimes people are deterred from picking up the phone in those instances. And and that's one challenge that I think just in general, law firms and clients are, are facing right now in general. But I mean, understanding for us from the lawyer's perspective, if we don't understand the big picture or the goals or, you know, 
the the motivation for the client and for the company, it's hard to give those really specific responses. And so I love to hear that your approach with the lawyer, whether it's your in-house counsel, if it's an outside attorney, whatever the case may be, that you're kind of teaming up with them and, and you're talking through the issues because, yeah, the question, the answer might be definitely don't do option D, but if you do that option, here's your risks. And okay, C is a little bit better than option D, but here are your risks with option C, because if you don't understand the risk there, I mean, you're probably less inclined to take the advice there. Yeah. And the way that they educate us, you know, we pass that back on to the teams in a way where, yes, we're giving them options, probably skinning down options at Mm -hmm. that point. But, you know, when I was without at some of my previous companies, we had cases that could take eight months before we were letting anybody go. And that is just time and money and stress and just nobody's getting along at that point. And there's other issues that are popping up and it's awful for everybody involved. And, And this way, by taking a partner early on, even if you have to spend a little bit of money, overall, it's, you're winning because you're, you're hitting it head on. You're spending a little bit of money. So the attorney knows what you're up against. You're getting the right advice. And in the end, you're moving quickly, which is music to the business leader's ears. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I like to encourage clients to ask the questions early on because it is harder to fix something after the fact. One, it's probably more expensive for them. Oh, yeah. Especially if they're winding up in litigation or, you know, so it's more expensive. It's more contentious. It's a bigger headache. And even just from the corporate side, sometimes it just takes more money and more hours to fix and undo things. And, you know, people love the saying, why fix what ain't broke? But I don't know. I don't I don't like that saying because I just think that a lot of times you can avoid breaking something if you ask mm-hmm. the question up front and taking that proactive approach. So, I mean, but to your point, it's important for the business folks and the the HR professionals and the lawyers to all be on the same page and to have that similar outlook. And if you don't have a similar outlook, you're not going to get to that same endpoint. So, I mean, not to bring it back to the pandemic, but what is that looking like for you? Because from my perspective, it seems like during the pandemic, everybody in HR had their traditional HR function to, to handle. And then they had all the consequences of the pandemic to deal with. And from I don't know. That sounds like a nightmare to me. The list is endless. I mean, you had, okay, somebody was exposed to COVID. Now now what are we requiring them to do? Do we just punt and say, follow the CDC? Or do we have our own guidelines? Vaccination mandates. Okay, somebody doesn't want to get vaccinated or someone doesn't want to wear a mask and there's a mask mandate. Someone wants to work from home now and the company has the policy that we're in person or we're hybrid and somebody wants to be home all the time. How are you navigating all of these items and how are you answering all the, I imagine, endless questions that you're receiving? Yeah, it it was very interesting times (laughs) (laughs) when it first started. And we really had two jobs. We had the pandemic and then we had everything else we were supposed to do. Right. Um, And I particularly loved when, you know, like I personally got the vaccine and I would love it when people come in my office and like start screaming about, you know, the government and like how you shouldn't get the vaccine. I'm like, look, just stop. You save your breath. The the ship has sailed. I've already had it. I don't, (laughs) I'm good. You know what I mean? Like you're not changing my mind. 
it's already done. Right. You know, but it, you know, so now, it, I mean, it's still there. Like, it, you know, we have cases pop up and um, luckily the the CDC, the guidance has been like relaxed and it's, it's easier to follow at this point. I'm fortunate now where I am, like they've taken it really seriously. The team did an amazing job during the pandemic. And so, They've got great protocols. They have really good communications. You know, everything was working really, you know, just hand in hand. And of course, now we've got back to school. So we all have the general, you know, germs and everything that are coming back around. But it's um, it's been really interesting, you know, to keep like just the ever changing world of, of COVID-19. <laughs> so, you know, HR has definitely been pretty tired so I would say anybody, you know, you may not be able to go hug them, but definitely tell your HR person how much you appreciate them because they deserve it. And I think a lot of people forgot, you know, they didn't want to get it either. And they had to put a lot of work in it. Right. You know, it was tough. But, it, you know, again, during that time, the partnership with legal was just so key. You know, we were literally, I, I would say, thick as thieves with yeah. our in-house and outside partners. Because, you know, we all, we were wondering what to do, too. Nobody was alive during the Spanish flu. Nobody had an idea as what to right. do. You know, right. it was new territory for everybody. Yeah, I know. It really, the only solace I think that anybody had is that we were all in the same boat. Yes. And it was new for everybody, and we were all figuring it out together. And I always think that any decisions that come from legal decisions during the pandemic are going to be very interesting. I mean, there was just a case with the Cleveland State student that, you know, filed a lawsuit that his privacy rights were being infringed upon from the way they scanned his dorm room for the final exam. And so I just think we're going to have some really interesting opinions coming out of the pandemic and to look back on and it'll be interesting. But The other thing, Amy, I wanted to ask you about is something that we've been focusing on a lot here at France Ward is our diversity and inclusion efforts. And I think it's been diversity and inclusion has been a hot topic for a while. But from my perspective, it seems like a lot of there's a lot more action around it right now or maybe a sense of urgency. And maybe that's just my current environment that's giving me that perception. But what are you seeing from the HR side? Yeah, you know, it's like everything too, right? Like the Me Too movement happened. We saw a lot of urgency around, you know, sexual harassment and policies and things like that. And I'm never going to say that's a bad thing. I mean, I always think it's like, well, where has everybody been type of reaction, you know? Same with diversity and inclusion. So I I always think that it's it's a great thing to focus on. I think by celebrating our differences, it's what makes a company better, I do get a little concerned, I will say, with recruiting, because in recruiting now, there's a lot of focus around scrubbing resumes and applications to erase any type of information that would lead you to um, national origin, race, age, gender, all of these things. And you know, I, you know, I, I worry that we're going to end up with hiring all the same people that we normally do in order not to have any bias in the, in the process. And again, back to what makes us different is something that should be celebrated. I think there's a better way to control bias in the interviewing process than to just scrub a resume and an application so clean that you don't know who you're talking to, essentially. And so that that's an interesting, you know, sort of 
conundrum, if you will, that we're going to get ourselves into. And I'm not sure, I I don't have any of the answers of how to solve that, but I, I hope we kind of find a middle ground with not having bias in who we hire, because that's very important, but it's also really important to make sure that we you know, reflect the communities in which we serve and that we're hiring a wide variety of of people with differences because it just makes the workplace more fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad it's on your horizon too and on your radar because I I know that in law in general, there's been a big push and yeah, it's, I've, you said, where has everyone been or, you know, that's, and it's true. And so I don't know if there's just more buy-in or, or what the, the shift has been, but I think it's one that's definitely for the best and is positive. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about is just in general, looking forward, what you kind of see as the biggest challenge on the horizon for HR. Yeah, well, we're not out of the woods yet with this great resignation. Yeah. Um, so it's still a war for talent. And, it, you know, it's it's a very real thing. So I think the companies that are going to put their employees first and have, you know, it, what we're trying to do at Equity, we're really trying to make this culture one of like a family-based culture. We're putting our employees first and we're trying to make this an environment where, you know, you want to be there and you want to not only work hard, but you want to have a good time at the place where Mm -hmm. you are spending the majority of your time. I think those are the companies that are really going to prevail. And I'm not saying we, we get it right all the time, but I will say, I think equity is doing a lot of things right. And it's been a really, really good journey for me so far in my six months that I've been there. So I think from HR perspective, that's where HR can really come into play and start getting their culture out there and making it a great place for people to work. And that's what's going to attract and retain their talent. That's spot on. I mean, we, we preach it at our firm here and Chris Keim, our managing partner, I remember back when I interviewed he was like, our culture, you know, we're all about the culture and, and the, the feel of, of the firm. And it's a hard thing to understand or know until you're there and you're experiencing it. But I do think that you're absolutely right, that it's company culture that will end up keeping people because at the end of the day, um, people spend a lot of time at work, (laughs) usually Mm -hmm. more time than they do at home. So I know. well, Well, great. Well, Amy, thank you. I mean, I appreciate you so much for taking the time to chat today. I don't know if there's any takeaways you want to end with to sum up our discussion, but I'll I'll let you do that if you have some. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for the time. And, you know, I think is is if any HRs, you know, are listening to this and what they could take away to make their their companies a little bit more modern is is to make it easy on their businesses and and look for ways to really partner with their business you know, give solutions. Don't just, you know, plan their parties, you know, know their business and have fun while doing it. That's great. I really hope that that can reach a couple people in the community as they're looking for ways to expand their role in their company and to partner with, you know, whether it's a C-suite or the, the business owners in a more closely held company. So wonderful. Well, thank you again. And I definitely look forward to staying in touch now. Me too. Thanks so much. Thank you. Shoveling Smoke is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. 
Our producer and audio engineer is Sean Rule Hoffman. Thanks for listening.